So we're going to be learning about Esther today. And what I want you to see is that there is nothing new under the sun. King Solomon wrote in um, Ecclesiastes, he traveled the world, he saw a bunch of things going on, and he said, one thing that I know is there's nothing new under the sun. And so humanity never changes. Humanity never changes. Our situations change, our technology changes, our culture changes, but humans are always, always, always bent on doing what is selfishly evil in their own eyes. But the good thing is God never changes. God never changes from who he is. He is always good, always loving, always perfect, and he's always there to provide deliverance and relief for his people. And so today, if you can say, I am a follower of God, I'm a follower of Christ, I am his child, the good news is, is we've got stories upon stories upon stories that we can look back and see God move through multiple things, even when we don't feel like he's near, even when we don't feel like we see him, even when we don't see the Red Sea part, the burning bush, anything like that, we get to read stories about his faithfulness. And so we're going to take a look today at Esther. Esther is in this society of the Persian Empire. The, where we are in history right now is the Jews uh, grew up, you know, the Jews were in um, Israel, the nation of Israel. They've been given the land. They've uh, had their kings, the great height of Israel, King David, King Solomon, King Saul. And then they divided their, their country, a nation divided in Israel and Judah, and then all of a sudden they start doing what was right in their own eyes. The Bible continues to say that they leave God, they forsake God, and that the Babylonians come and take them into captivity. And so then you get the picture of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of these people that are in captivity away from their homeland. And then the Persians take over. And this is where we are. We're in the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire is about the size of the United States. This is a big empire. Cyrus, King Cyrus, came first and said, hey, Jews, you can go back. I'm going to be gracious. You can go back to your homeland and build the temple where God dwells. And so they rebuild the temple, and now we get to, there was King Cyrus, King Darius, and now we're at King Hazarus. What Esther says is King Hazarus. She is in Susa. King Hazarus is in Susa. This is the, kind of the capital of the Persian Empire at this time. But you know him as King Xerxes. If you've ever done any type of history and you've seen, I'm not recommending it, but the, the movie 300, that is about the king, King Xerxes. This king was a very godless king. In fact, he thought he was God. He called himself the God King. He, he ruled over what was the known world at the time. And he really loved to party. He loved to get drunk. And he loved women. Kind of sounds like our society. Kind of sounds like we've not learned anything. But I want you to see that, that Esther here is a lot like you and I. She's in a society that says there is no God, that you just do whatever you want to do to please yourself, and that we must live life to its fullest. And so we see King Xerxes, this is right around the time of 483 to 473. This is when the book's timeline is kind of written over. We see the story of about 10 years. And we see a very godless king in a time of peace. And so he throws a party. 
he gets all of his military officials, all the rich people, all his friends to come to this palace, and he throws a party. And I want you to think about a wedding party or, or a uh, frat party or, or maybe a party that you go after work, that there's an open bar and it's all on the palace. And it's these men that are constantly drinking, getting drunk all over the place. And this party lasts for 180 days. Yeah, right? You're like, that just sounds awful. But 180 days, this guy's throwing the party, the, pa- the tab's all on the palace, and heck, you just come and we're, gonna, we're just going to have a good time. And so this conversation starts happening about which, which providence has the best looking women. And so King Hazarus steps up and says, hey, 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 I'm God. And I've married the most beautiful woman there is. And so my queen is the most beautiful person. Come on in here and show your beauty. And you think that she's going to come in here and stand, and they're just going to gaze on her beauty. But the idea is that King Hazarus is asking asking her to come in and disrobe and stand in nothing but her crown and display her beauty to all these drunken men. Horrible, horrible decision. Queen Vashti comes in, and she realizes that this is not a good thing. But I want you to see something. Queen Vashti doesn't serve God. This is an immoral man asking his wife to do an immoral thing in front of immoral people. But there's something inside of her that says this is not right. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know morality. We know what's good and what's, what's wrong. We know we shouldn't shouldn't be cheating on our wives. We know we shouldn't steal people's stuff. We know we shouldn't tell lies because we are made in the image of God. He is the ultimate morality. The problem is, is our flesh distorts that and we want to fulfill what's our own desires. So Queen Vashti says, no, this isn't a good idea. I'm standing up. And so the king is upset. These people are saying, hey, If your queen can disrespect you, what's that going to do for our wives? You've got to do something about this. And so he sends her off to his harem. There's a harem in the palace. There's actually two types of harem in this one place. There's one for his wives and one for his concubines. And she's banished to this harem. He wakes up the next morning kind of regretting what he did. Anybody ever been there? Alcohol and the depravity of man's mind does not make you do great things. So he regrets what he does. So all his men is like, okay, we, we've got this idea. Why don't we gather all the virgins of the area, and they're going to come before you, and you're going to pick a new queen. And this is when Esther is pulled into this situation. Horrible situation. But let's go to Esther 2 and see what's going on here. Esther 2, verse 7, he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for he, she had neither father nor mother. Okay, we're talking about Mordecai here. Mordecai is her cousin. She is an orphan. She has no father or mother. So not only is she away from where God wants them, out of God's land, in a horrible society, but she's being raised by her cousin and has no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And if you know the Bible says that, you know it's true because we play, we downplay the goodness of man in the Bible because we, our standard is God. 
And so she was very lovely to look at. And when her father and mother had died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor, or the young woman pleased him, that's Esther, and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. How can you find any good in this? It reminds me of Joseph when he's placed in in prison for something wrong he didn't do, yet he was elevated to second in command. Here she's put in this harem, away from Mordecai. But yet she's elevated because uh, Haggai sees something different about her. I want you to get this. It's not just her beauty that wins him over. You can be beautiful and complete jerk, right? You know those people? So her character stands out. She is different from those around her. And we're going to see later on just the qualities of Esther. Because you and I, here's the big idea for today. No matter what situation you were in, at work, at home, at school, out when you're doing your extracurricular activities, no matter what situation you're in, you should look different. You should look different from every other person at your workplace. You should look different from other people's families because the characteristics of Christ live in you. You are the picture of Christ, and we're going to see this in Esther. So now when the term came for each young woman to go into King Hazarus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments, ladies, if your husbands ever say, hey, why do you take so long to get ready? Go, hey, go read Esther, chapter 2, verse 12, and I'll be there in a minute. 12 months of getting ready. 12 months. Right? That's ridiculous. (laughs) Twelve months of getting ready for this moment. When the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to to the king's palace. Now, you and I are thinking beauty pageant, right? You and I are thinking, man, twelve months of getting ready to stand before the king, and you're going to come out in your best robes looking the best that you've ever done. You might do a little, sing a little song, do a little dance, play an instrument, and somebody's going to be crowned Miss Susan, right? That's what we're picturing. But I want you to see that this is the farthest from a beauty pageant that we can get. In fact, in fact, this is human trafficking at its worst. This is a time that you'll see in just a second. Well, let's just read, and then I'll explain. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shazgat, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. So I'm I'm hoping you followed me here that they prepare themselves for 12 months 
to go before the king in the evening and spend the night with him. And in the morning, they have to leave the first harem, which was considered for the wives, and go to the concubines. And you are banished to this place unless the king calls you out. So history will show that this harem was all about the wives and the concubines of King Xerxes here. And if he was not pleased with you, you would be banished and you would have no relationship with anyone else except for those ladies that were in this harem. Esther is 15 years younger than the king at this point. What a horrible situation. And it's all legal. It's all legal the man in charge who has money, who loves to get drunk, wants to spend a night with multiple ladies. And the sad thing is, is we think that this is awful, but we can go to our home and click on the internet and see any of this at any time. Man has not changed. The only difference between us is our income. We have to check our hearts. Jeremiah says our heart is desperately wicked. It's sick. Who can understand? When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of all the women, advised. Now Esther was winning, again, winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. In the middle of this situation, her character stands out. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what baggage you're holding on to, what baggage you brought in here. But God is good. He's perfect and he loves us. And whether we've brought this stuff on our own or somebody else has brought it on us, We live in a very fallen world, a very sinful world. And your character still needs to stand out. Because it's the only light this world will see. Is Jesus in you. And when Esther was taken to King Hazarus into the royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibet, I guess that's how you say it, in the, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Won favor, and this is God. Horrible situation. It's not that God placed her there. It's not that God wanted her to be there. But our God can work everything for his good, including the situation, including your situation. But the thing is, is we have to have the characteristics of Christ. We have to be ready for our situation. We have to be, know that God is good. He does not change. Let's stand on a foundation that is like no other. And no matter what storm hits us, no matter what our situation brings, we know that our God can provide. We know our God can heal. We know our God can restore. We know our God can recreate. So the story goes on. She becomes queen. 
Mordecai, her cousin, overhears a plot to assassinate the king. He brings it to Esther. Esther brings it to the king. They find out it's correct. And oh, all of a sudden, Mordecai is, is the man. So it's jotted down in a book. At the same time, King Xerxes raises a guy named Haman. Haman is a very evil man. He's walking along very prideful. He wants people to bow down to him. Mordecai, the Jew, doesn't bow down. Kind of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, bow down to this statue. No, we're not going to bow down. Mordecai chooses not to bow down. King Haman, or Haman gets upset, goes to the king and says, hey, there's a group of people that don't want to bow down to me and don't take you seriously. Let's make a rule, let's make a decree that we can, wherever these people are in your kingdom, people can annihilate man, woman, child, and then take all their stuff and have it as their own. King says, that sounds good. And he makes a decree. Kind of reminds me of Daniel, right? Daniel's with the wise men. The wise men don't like him. So they know that his beliefs can be challenged. So he goes to the king and says, hey, king, there's someone that doesn't pray to you. I think we need to make a rule that everyone should pray to you and you only. And if somebody's found like that, then maybe throw them to the lion's den. King thought it was good. Why does it surprise us that people make laws in this land that challenge our belief? It's been done over and over and over. We have to stand strong. We have to know that our God doesn't change. And no matter what has come to us, whether it's death, whether it's lion's den, whether it's, it's, it's prison, we stand on the foundation that is of Christ. And so Mordecai is sorrow about, he overhears this plot and he's sorrowful and he tears his clothes. He's out in, out in this area and Esther looks down and sees her. She sends um, one of the eunuchs down to talk to Mordecai. Mordecai sends a message back about what has been found out, that the Jews are going to be annihilated. He recommends that she goes to the king. Her response is, all the king's servants and the people of the king's providence, provinces Know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. No matter who you are, whether you're the queen or the lowest person in the empire, if you go before the king without being called, you can be put to death unless he finds mercy and decides to extend his scepter. So, hey, you're the queen. I'm sure you've got your ends, right? We'll keep going. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. Men, do not base your marriage off of King Hazarus. If you haven't talked to your wife for 30 days, something needs to change. 30 days this queen has not seen her husband, has not been called in, has not been in his presence, and now, what's going through her mind? Man, I'm about to go through this king who hasn't called me in 30 days. That's death. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. 
And Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Don't think because you're the queen that you're saved from this. You're a Jew. The king doesn't know this yet. Uh Uh-oh. Don't think that you're going to escape this. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Where does Mordecai know this? Maybe he thinks back to, oh, there was a time that the Israelites called out from captivity in Egypt. And God delivered Moses. Went to the Pharaoh and delivered them out of captivity, walking them through the Red Sea. There's a time when the Israelites were promised land. Joshua is leading them into that land. He looks up and sees a gigantic wall, one that he can't go around. God tells him to do some crazy things, walk around it seven times and you'll be good. And he, the Israelites are delivered. You think of David. He may be thinking of David when he has to go up and fight the Philistines. A little shepherd boy isn't a very big thing in the kingdom of Israel. Yet this giant is mocking and he stands for God. And the Israelites are delivered and relief is found from the Philistines. Maybe he thinks of Gideon where God dwindles down the army to 300 men. And he causes confusion among the other nation, and and they're delivered. I can guarantee you Mordecai's thinking about God because he knows his God is faithful to provide deliverance and relief. So I don't know, again, I don't know your situation, but I can guarantee you that if you're a child of God, he wants to provide deliverance and relief for you because God is good and he does not change. But you and your father's house will perish, saying, you won't escape this. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, I know you've gone through a lot of stuff. But maybe, just maybe, God's about to turn it for good. Maybe this is your purpose. So, again, I don't know your situation, but God has a purpose for you. And the thing is, is whether you follow him or not, he's created you for a purpose. It's whether or not you hold fast to his promises and keep moving through and get to know him more and more and get to look like him more and more, whether or not you stand when the storm comes. But God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Then Esther told them to to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews obviously the ones that worship God, to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And if you know anything about the Jewish belief, there's fasting, there's prayer. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Jesus was in the grave for three days. Jonah was in the well for three days. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish reminds me, again, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The king asked, bow down to this statue. No, king, we worship God. We will not bow down. Then you'll be thrown in the fiery furnace. Then so be it. Our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, 
we will still bow down. Or we won't bow down. Whoa, that was wrong. That's some faith. That even if my God doesn't save us, we're still worshiping him. If I perish, I know God can save me. But if I don't, if he doesn't, then I perish. Let's fast forward to Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, has all this anxiety, all this this fear of the unknown, knows the cross is before him. He's praying, sweating blood. And he says, God, I don't want to go there. Father, I do not want to go there. I know you can save me from this. I know you can take this cup from me. But God, even if you don't, I'm going. And if I die, I die. And he did. Praise God he did. Because how else would we have a relationship with the holy God? Esther screams characteristics of Christ. I don't know your situation today. I really don't. You may be dealing with ramifications, consequences of alcohol and drugs. You may be, have been physically abused, sexually abused, neglected, verbally abused. Your marriage may be on the rocks. You may have had something happen to you brought from because somebody else was selfish and sinful, or you may have gotten yourself into this situation. Can I just say, please, please, please stand on a foundation that God is good, And he can restore, recreate, and heal everything that's in your life. But even if he doesn't, praise him. Know he is good. And then one day there will be deliverance. One day there will be relief. And it may be when we're standing in the presence of a holy God. But he loves you and he's created you for a purpose. So after this fast, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. Man, that's a long sentence. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. Her characteristics, her character was so amazing that the king said, oh, Esther, and found favor. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And I want you to know that if you follow God today, if you follow Christ, later on in Acts, the book of Acts, it's talking about the early church. They meet together. They don't forsake the teachings, the, the uh, breaking of bread, the fellowship, the prayer. They're selling all their, their stuff so that no one has a need And one of the things is that they are found favorably among all people. You should look so different that you are found favorably among all people. The Bible is clear about that. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of my kingdom. Half of the United States, it's yours. Wow. So this is the part where I'd think Esther would be like, okay, there's a guy, right? 
What does she do? And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman, Haman, this is the guy that wants to kill me, come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. What? Take your opportunity. But I can guarantee you, Esther has just prayed and fasted and sought God. But this is a moment where she's like, hey, I'm not feeling the timing yet, God. And she waits. She waits on God to provide. And then she looks at the king and says, okay, well, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to prepare a feast for you and the guy that wants to kill me. Generosity should go before you, being a follower of Christ. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly, right? Because I love feast." So that we may do as Easter had uh, Easter Esther wow has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, "Okay, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled." All right, Esther, Esther, my wish and my request is. If I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to a feast that I will prepare for them tomorrow. What? And I will do as the king has asked. Again, she does not seize the opportunity because it's not God's timing. Wait, wait, wait on the Lord. Don't try to fix it yourself. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, and the king again said to Esther, what is your wish? Queen Esther, it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And queen ans- the queen answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated, If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Okay, death is on on her doorstep. Yet what does she mean by loss to the king? I believe she's probably thinking back again. King Xerxes, King Hazarus, my husband, there was a pharaoh. It was a pharaoh in Egypt. It, it didn't turn out so well for him. I want, to, I want to save you from that. Because I can guarantee you that if you attack my people, our God will deliver us. He will protect us. And it will not go good for you. In fact, there was, there was a town called Jericho. It's no longer there. I don't want this to happen to you. There is nation after nation that God's delivered us from the hands of the people that want to kill us. There was a man by the name of Daniel who was thrown to the lion's den and he was delivered. I don't want this to happen to you. Your loss will be great.
So the king says, okay, who is it? Who's made this decree? She points to Haman. Haman's not feeling good at this point. The king gets enraged. He leaves. Haman comes up, tries to plea for his life. He trips and falls on top of Esther. King walks in at that moment. I can't make this stuff up. King looks and says, you're going to violate my wife in my own home? Guards come get Haman. The guards look around and say, hey, Haman was making a, a gallow for Mordecai to be hung on. Why don't we just go hang him on that? I can't make this stuff up. Go read Esther. Ten chapters. I don't know what your situation is, but let me tell you something about the book of Esther. The name of God, the word God, is not in it at all. Why is it written? It's in the book, it's in the word of God, and his name is not mentioned once. Because it's, a it's for a believer like me who lives in a corrupt society who hasn't seen the Red Sea part, who hasn't seen the walls of Jericho fall, who hasn't seen the fire of God come down and take up an altar, who hasn't seen the blind men see, who hasn't seen a demon-possessed uh, demon guy be healed, who hasn't seen a dead man raised from life, who at some point, honestly, I think, God, where are you? And if there's anybody that could say that, it's Esther. Through the loss of two jobs, the loss of family members, and raising some, some kids that aren't ours right now, life is difficult. But God is good. He comes through. He wants to work everything for his good, and if I follow him, I know that he will deliver me and give me relief. I don't know your situation, but I do know that Esther was written for us so that we can believe in a God that doesn't change. Maybe your situation is fearful, right? Fearful of the unknown. You may have had something come in that changed your situation, brought on by someone else or uh, from, from yourself. You may have lost a job. Your income may not be the same as it is. You may need provision, and you fear the unknown. I can guarantee you Esther feared. She feared the night with the king. She feared going before the king. Mordecai feared Haman and what was going to happen because of the Jews, because of the law to the Jews. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know if it's fearful. I don't know if it's a difficult situation. You may be changing jobs. You may need to change jobs. You may, your marriage may be difficult right now. You may have to make a decision that, that it's hard. You may need to move. I don't know your situation. This was a very difficult situation for Esther. It may just be that you're in an evil situation brought on by other people. King Hazarus was an evil man. You've been, may have been sexually abused, physically abused, neglected from other people. And it just feels like God is far away. You may feel isolated. I can guarantee you, Esther felt isolated. She was in a harem for 12 months, away from family. She had no, no mother, no father. 
She was away from where God wanted her. The God, God dwelt in the temple at this point. When Jesus died, the, the veil tore in two to, to represent that God lives in our hearts and not in the temple anymore. She is in Susa, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple. She may be saying, God, where are you? I don't know if you feel isolated. But I pray that you have the characteristics of Christ. Because storms will come. And God is good. He's the only one that can save us through them. So what are some characteristics that we see here? One is just this steadfastness, this faithfulness to God that you see Esther stand on something. She's got to stand on something because her situation isn't good. There's a parable or a story that, that Jesus says that in Luke, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. This can be translated to us. Everyone who comes to me and reads my words and does them, because his word is the Bible, I will show him what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against his house and could not, and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, the one that reads and does not do them, is like a man who built a house on the ground with a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You cannot, cannot, cannot start reading the Bible, start praying, and start coming to church and fellowship with other believers when the storm hits. You have to do these things when life is good. When the storm is not here, you have to read, you have to pray, you have to connect. That way, when the storm hits, you have a foundation to stand on. You see this idea of preparation, of being prepared, that she prepared herself for 12 months for one night. She prepared herself by fasting and praying before she went to the king. She prepared a feast for the moment she was going to to tell the king, there's preparation, there's action done on our part. You have to be ready. In 1 Peter, it says, uh, chapter 3, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why do you look so different among this situation? Why do you respond so differently to this situation, to this storm? Have an answer ready. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That was Esther. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. There's suffering. Paul writes that if you share in the righteousness of Christ, you're going to share in his sufferings. Be ready. Be prepared. Know your answer for the hope you have in Christ. Generosity, being generous. She prepared a feast for the one that wants to, one that wanted to kill him. She was generous, and again, generosity. If we know what Christ did for us, we can't help but be generous. He's given us everything, eternal life. Nothing that we've done on our own merit. You can't help but bleed generosity when you know what Christ has done for you. In Acts 2, again, it talks about the early church that's together. They're giving away their possessions. 
with glad and generous hearts. Generosity should go before you. And then last, patience. Wait. Wait, wait, wait on God. We live in a society that we want to fix everything immediately. We want Amazon Prime, so we get it immediately. Two days isn't good enough anymore. We need that one day shipping. Wait on God. Isaiah puts it this way. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Don't try to fix it yourself. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God that he waits for us. Wait for him. Life's beating you up. Get your strength from God. Take these characteristics so that you can be a light to others. So people can see you differently and see and look favorably upon you. Let's pray. Father, man, I thank you for Esther. I thank you for her example. I thank you for her characteristics. I thank you for being a God that doesn't leave us, even though we may run from you, even though we may stay away from you, even though we don't see you, God. God, I pray that we know you are good and that you've created us for a purpose and that his purpose is to glorify you and you alone. God, I just pray that you teach us today be more like you and less like this world so that others can see the light in us, the spirit of God. And we can be seen favorably among people so that you can get glory, not us, Father. So we can point everything to you, have an answer for our hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.